Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Shalom, shalom. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amon, pastor at Out of Ashes Ministries in DeRitter, Louisiana. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. How are you? Hope you're well. Your week is going well. I hope the weather's not too severely cold where you are. We're in South Louisiana, so this is like awesome for us. Weather's cool and nice and uh, well, cooler and nice and, and all that stuff. We actually feel like we can walk outside without the, the heat sucking the very air out of our lungs. Anyway, hey, I hope you're doing well. We have got a lot to get into today. So, uh, super quick announcement, but one that's very, very important. Uh, January 14, 15, and 16, that's the first full weekend of January, or the third, I'm sorry, the third weekend of January. January 14, 15, 16, we are super excited to have our good friend, tour guide extraordinaire, straight from Modain, Israel, Hanok Young, coming in to spend the weekend with us and um, tell us about all the things that are going on in Israel and update us on uh, just his travels and what's been going on with him and uh, answer your questions about uh, about our Jewish brothers and sisters and just a whole smorgasbord of, of an event uh, that weekend. Uh, Friday evening, Arev Shabbat meal, Shabbat morning, 10 a.m. Central as our normal time. Uh, Hanok will be giving a presentation and then we'll Oneg together and then after that, two sessions and then Havdalah. Uh, Shabbat evening, and then Sunday morning, two sessions, and then we will break before lunch, so you guys can all have a chance to get home. So we're we're extending this invitation out to uh, all of our cyber family, our cyber mishpaka, uh, anyone who you know considers himself or gets anything from OAM, uh, or hey, even if you don't, you just want to come in to have a good time. That's cool too. But we want to really extend this invitation out to all of you guys out there, guys and gals out there online. Uh, we really appreciate you are a huge part of our family and our ministry, and we we feel your presence and your support and your prayers. And uh, so we want this to op- be an opportunity where we can give back to you. Uh, and as far as coming in, let us host you. We want to hug your necks and meet you and uh, and, and talk to you face-to-face and all that. So uh, January 14, 15, and 16, please mark it on your calendar. If you have any questions about scheduling or anything like that, accommodations, etc., Please shoot us a message on Facebook. Uh, email us at contact at outofashesministries.org. Um, send a carrier pigeon or a messenger fox or whatever is easiest for you. Get in touch with us so we can update you, and we would love to see you then. All righty, let's go to the Father before we jump into today's episode. Father, we bless you and thank you so much. Your creation blesses its creator for this opportunity to be together. Thank you, Father, that we can go out across the internet and uh, and have such a great community, all doing our best to bear your image better.
All right, so last week, big smashing episode. We had a lot of stuff we covered. Um, I don't want to revamp the whole thing, but just as a quick kind of overview, um, we are really continuing the conversation of Hanukkah even after the fact because I believe that the ripples of Hanukkah uh, did in its historic setting continue to ripple through the next several generations of Judaism and of the land of Israel. And I believe the Hanukkah message for us today continues to ripple through, even though, you know, we've, we've put up our Hanukkah, maybe we've cleaned all the wax off of our candelabras and we've, you know, put up our Hanukkah decorations and we've, you know, we've done, we're on a fried food fast or what, you know, whatever the message and the ethic of Hanukkah should still ripple uh, ahead for us. And so we, we've we really been talking about last last episode, I'm, I'm really trying to set up and I want us to think about um, how Hanukkah affected the life, the culture, the context, the teaching, the identity of Yeshua uh, and all these things because Hanukkah only happens about 140 years or so before Yeshua shows up, 150 years. Folks, that's not a long time, right? That's two, maybe three generations. And... Um, it it I believe it completely and totally shapes the world that Yeshua is born in, born into, and uh, the the stories of Hanukkah, the traditions of Hanukkah, that are very 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 fresh in the life of Yeshua, and so we we talked about that the first half of the episode, the second half of the episode, uh, we started to take a look at the book of Daniel. Now, what does Daniel have to do with Hanukkah? Ah, well, we looked at the structure, the uh, the linguistic structure of Daniel, and saw that it's the only book we have that it was originally given to us in two languages, Hebrew and Aramaic. Hmm. Uh, we also took a look at the literary, or the, the structural, I guess, the literary structure of Daniel, and found that it has three chiasms. The Aramaic section has a chiasm, the Hebrew section has a chiasm, and those two sections together form one humongous big chiasm itself. And so in the middle of that chiasm C, which is the whole, if you take chapters 2 through 11 of Daniel, that center chiastic uh, section is actually Daniel chapter 7, which is probably one of the most well-known passages, especially if you're a, a prophecy buff. Uh, you love the book of Revelation and Daniel, etc. Um, we have Daniel 7, and the, the center of that, that chiasm is, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, is Daniel 7, 13, and 14. So this idea of the uh, one coming, you know, the Son of Man coming on the clouds, being elevated to the Father, and to Him being give, given all dominion, Right and uh, and sixty two weeks and seven weeks and a week and half a week and all right all right okay so that's the center of the whole book of Daniel it, that's the center of that the the massive Daniel chiasm that's the center that son of man thing and it's interesting to me that Yeshua refers to himself over and over and over and over and over and over and over as the son of man now I did say last week that the other um, you find son of man all over the Tanakh but uh, Ben Adam. But the the place you find it the most is actually the book of Ezekiel. But there it's pretty much just human, you know, human one, uh, man. 
And in the book of Daniel, the Son of Man actually doesn't appear but a few times, but the this passage where it appears is really, really, um, really, really pertinent, right, and really pivotal. And so I think that this influences Yeshua a lot. And so we looked at these three chiasms, and we said, like, what in the world is going on? And I ended the episode by telling you that the common scholastic opinion is that the book of Daniel um, was not written during the Babylonian exile, as we usually kind of would think, right? Daniel's a guy, he's a prophet, he's a, he's a guy in Babylon. He's writing down what happens to him, right? Or, has, or someone there is writing down what happens to him and writing down the prophecies and the visions that Daniel sees. Actually, the common scholastic opinion is that's not actually when Daniel was written, but that Daniel was written mid-2nd century B.C., which is during which time period? It's during the Hanukkah time period, during the Maccabean revolt, right? And all this upheaval that's going on. So so just wait a second. You, you may be listening to this thinking, I really could care less what scholars think. Um, I believe that Daniel was written here, blah, blah, blah. I, you know, and, and because we have, we have tied the book of Revelation to Daniel, um, we we just have it burned in our heads that they are inextricably linked, and they are some sort. Of, they're speaking about the same thing, et cetera, et cetera. As far as a timeline or a, a there's an eschatological um, theme and point to the books of Daniel and Revelation. And while I don't want to say that that's not true, I I don't know anything. I'm just uh, I'm just just telling you what scholars say. Um, while that, you know, that certainly is true, and the point is that there are, there are conversations that happen around the Bible that you and I don't know anything about. And it may be good that we don't know, or it may, but, but here's the thing. We generally have two different worlds in which people approach the Scriptures for our sake. We have, or for our intent. We have the religious world, the theological world, right, where we take this book and we know enough about it uh, for it to help us to develop theological um, implications. Who is God? What is God doing? Why is he doing it? What does it mean for us, right? We use the Bible for a theological end, which is what it's supposed to be. However, there's another whole another world that surrounds this Bible, and I mean literally, a, there's a there's a whole another existence around the Bible, and that's academic, right? And a few episodes ago, we had uh, Matt Napier on, who is a doctoral candidate, uh, and he talked about the importance of scholarship, right? And and we're gonna have um, we're gonna have Matt back on in a few weeks, but the importance of biblical scholarship is something that we really should. We should really come to terms with, because listen, I grew up in a small Southern Baptist church, and we were singing, you know, we sang our, our, our two hymns, and then we sang an offertory hymn, and then the pastor gave a 30-minute message with three points and a poem, and then he, you know, he asked for anybody to come up and be saved or baptized or change their letter of membership, and then we dismissed, and then we hoped we got to the got to the chicken place, you know, before all the, all the good chicken had been eaten. Like, I mean, that, and then, and then I spent some more time, you know, where we, we had church for two hours in a, you know, 
uh, non-denominational kind of Pentecostal type thing where you didn't care if you ate lunch, you just wanted to be in the presence of God, you know, and that, and those, both of those, I'm not trying to make fun or take away from both of those experiences, but the point is that the, the things that we're not talking about in church are basically this question, what is the Bible and what is it doing? What, what it, we, we read it and we go, well, God's obviously like this. And we are obviously supposed to do this, and this is what is expected of us, and this is what the Bible says about the beginning and the middle and the end of of, of existence, and period. Um, and and scholarship is just a totally different world and a totally different approach to that. Um, and and it's important because if you, th- this is really kind of the crux of what I'm, of why I think this is so important for us and. Because if we link, let's say, for instance, the book of Daniel, if we link the book of Daniel to the book of Revelation, and we see Daniel and Revelation as speaking to each other with these visions and prophecies, and it is revealing some sort of code and some sort of timeline, or it's trying to give us a roadmap, uh, an eschatological roadmap, then that begins to give us an expectation, right? And obviously, we, I mean, anyone that's, a, that's lived in, in, you know, Christianity or uh, faith community, faith tradition for any amount of time can tell you that, you know, there's how many books, how many sermons, how many conferences, how many ministries, entire ministries are based off of an eschatological message, trying to teach us about when the end is coming, what's going to happen, um, what the dates are, even though we nobody sets dates anymore, but everybody's setting dates about when the end is going to happen, what it's going to be like, what is the mark, who is the anti-Messiah, um, all these things, right? These are expectations that we have because in part, in large part, in my opinion, because we read the Bible a certain way. And for our intents, intents and purposes, we read the book of Daniel as the side A to the cassette tape, right, that we're, that we're rocking along to. Daniel side A, Revelation side B, or vice versa, whatever. Um, and, and, and that's how we read them together. However, in, as I've used the word common, normal, whatever, because I can't say all scholars agree because they don't. Um, and there are traditional scholars that believe, no, Daniel was written in the fifth. There's a guy named Daniel in Babylon, and he's writing or somebody's writing about what's going on. And I'm not saying that there wasn't a guy named Daniel in Babylon. Yeah, absolutely. Great. What I'm saying is that most most scholars will tell us or the normal scholastic opinion is that the book of Daniel is much later. There's a very good case that it could be. And listen, even if it isn't, and we're just lying to ourselves, I think it's important that we at least examine the possibility. If Here's the deal. You and I, uh, unless you're a scholar, if you are, contact me. I want to interview you. Uh, but you and I read the Bible for our, you know, for the reasons we read it. However, scholars will spend 40 years of an academic career studying one book. One book. 
it's hard for me sometimes to keep up with the with the weekly uh, Parsha cycle. Just to just be completely honest, right? I got four kids and a life. It's 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 hard to to have intense you know study. And yet some of these scholars spend thirty, forty years studying one book. It at least we should uh, allow them the respect to say maybe they have seen some things in the writing, in the text, in the in the the way it's made that would give us pause to think about. Well, let's consider if it looks like this may be an option, at least let's consider it. And if we don't decide not to believe it, cool. If we decide it's a bunch of hogwash, fine. That's great. But if it's if it's the majority opinion or at least a very common opinion, it, it deserves to be looked at, right? So this is not to be like, you know, I'm not trying to be edgy or, you know, or whatever. I'm or, And I'm not trying to say, you know, well, you know, you can't read Revelation like that anymore. What I'm trying to say is that, we are so caught up in our theological box sometimes that we don't we don't pop the lid and stick our heads out and go is anybody saying anything about scripture that I should consider because their their opinion may be valid and it may push us to think differently about scripture so all that said super duper long kind of ranty intro sorry about that but the 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 structure of daniel uh with the the center chiasm of 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 part A uh, being in exile, the center of the chiasm of the part B, the second half uh, being about trials and the rebuilding of the temple, uh, and the the C center being about this son of man who will come and his kingdom will never end. Remember last week I really focused on how the turnover, the empire turnover that Israel was experiencing, right? I think that the the and I'll take this is a quote from Marty Solomon on the Bema podcast. Again, uh, the episodes that you should check out are episodes sixty two and eighty two of Bema. It's Bema Bema Discipleship uh, dot com. You should check those out. They're very very good. Uh, here's a, here's his quote. Uh, Daniel gives us a prophecy of hope that at some point a leader would come and would establish a new kingdom, one that would never pass away. In the meantime, God's people are left to are left to stand strong in the face of suffering, to resist the pull and tug of empire, to stand and subvert a kingdom that attempts to make you bow to gods that are not your own. Daniel promises God's protection and rescue. Daniel promises God's presence, and Daniel promises a future and a hope. And as strong as these kingdoms and empires appear to be today, they will fall and they will fail. And one by one, these kingdoms will give way to the next. Pride is ultimately the thing that brings them down until every king exalts and glorifies the king and the kingdom that will last forever. And so with faces set resolute toward tomorrow, God's people set up to plow forward until the day they might see one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. So what is the implication then if the book of Daniel is written mid-2nd century B.C.? What does what does that change for us, or what does that illuminate? What does it add? What does it force us to think about differently? Well, it could quite possibly be that the book of Daniel is set in Babylon as a just as a setting. Um, you know, this happens all the time uh, with with common writing. It it happened with uh, Orwell's nineteen eighty four, where it's set in the future. Uh, we have all these uh, all these types of stories that are set up this way. They're they're using historical events, historical people, historical names, historical you know all these things are that that are 
most likely very absolutely true. They're using historical events and names and characters and places in a setting to comment on a current day situation, to comment on a current day uh, goings on, the happenings, right? And so all this talk about Aramaic and Hebrew and being home and away and back home, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, what does this mean for the book of Daniel, and what does Daniel have to do with Hanukkah? Well, the, the very fact of the matter is that at the time of Yeshua, at the time of Hanukkah, the priesthood was becoming corrupt already, just right after Hanukkah. Everything was tied into each other the, the, as far as the, the foreign nations coming in and, and the, the higher-ups, the leaders um, that be, would, would, would have com- communications and, and, and relationships and agreements and covenants with, with foreign leaders, and et cetera, et cetera. And, and all of this was a big quagmire politically. And so what you have in, uh, in, the, in the writings of Daniel, in the, in the book of Daniel, you have this, this commentary on, on what's going on today. So what does the book of Daniel then tell us about, or what does it tell the, the Judeans at the time of its writing, if indeed it was written later in 2nd century uh, BC, mid-2nd century? What does it tell those people? What is the book of Daniel writing to those people in its current context? Well, in that case, you have this chiasm A, the part that's written in Aramaic, right? The, the foreign kind of language. It's speaking to a Greco-Roman context, saying Hellenism is coming, and I know you're worried, but we're going to give you a story that in the that 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 we're going to give you a story that in the first half tells that a that a a pagan king comes and worships God, right? We have Nebuchadnezzar. That 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 bow, he eats grass, right? He's a beast, but he bows down and, and worships God. And so, what is this telling a Judean audience, a, a Jewish audience, that is watching Greece come in? And you know, you have the Seleucids. You have all this stuff happening. What do you have? You have this. You have this story that opens up in a foreign language, but tells you basically that this foreign king, he's going to worship God. Well. That's Nebuchadnezzar in the story, but who could it be in the in the, the time of the Maccabees? What Ale- they have stories of Alexander the Great coming through Jerusalem and saying how he's never seen. He brings an offering and never he says he's never seen such a sight as the high priest in his golden vestments. I mean, that to me that fits. Chiasm B, the second half in Hebrew. Jerusalem is being restored. Hanukkah, right? We've just gotten through Hanukkah. Uh, the Maccabeans have been uh, victorious, and Jerusalem is being restored. And so you write this part of the book how the how Jerusalem will be rebuilt. However, are there times of trouble? Yes, Greece is on its way out. Rome is on its way in. It's not. It's not easy. And then it, it tells us that the Anointed One comes and dies in the temple. The anointed one comes and dies in the temple. Who is this anointed one that comes and dies in the temple? Who desecrates the temple? It's the priesthood. Hmm. Chiasm B, the second half of Daniel, pronounces judgment on the Hasmonean dynasty, an indictment of the corrupt priesthood. It's interesting, isn't it? That we think of, oh, well, this Messiah that will come and, and, you know, be cut off. We think of that as Messiah, Messiah. What if it's not? What if this Messiah, this anointed one, which is also what the Kohen Gadol was called, the anointed one, 
what if this is a corrupt, ruined priesthood that's defiling the temple? And every normal Jew knows it. Every average Jew that just wants to bring offerings that are acceptable to Hashem, they're having to bring their sacred, precious offerings to a temple that's defiled. They know it. What if this is an indictment on the priesthood saying that God's not going to let it happen. He's not going to let it continue. Then Chiasm C says, I know you're frustrated with where everything sets, but God is setting everything right. That's the chiasm about the son of man, the center about the, the, the son of man coming. I know there's been a lot of turnover. I know things are unsettled. I know things are in chaos, but you know what? God is going to set everything right. All you have to do is persevere. God wants you to persevere. Hey, don't go away. We'll be right back right after the break. Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the second segment. In this episode of Image Bearers Radio, uh, we are going to wrap up here our conversation on what does Daniel have to do with Hanukkah. Now, I know this is a lot to take in, and I know that it can be really technical, talking about chiastic structure and language and all that kind of stuff. I know it can be. So here's what I would ask you to do. Listen to this episode again, last episode and this episode. Go and listen to uh, Marty... Uh, and Brent talk about it on Bema uh, Discipleship Podcast. That's episodes uh, 62 and 82. Uh, one's called Daniel, the Son of Man, and one is called uh, The Text, When, Where, Who, and Why. Go check those out um, because Marty does a fantastic job of kind of getting to the point of uh, that I've been trying to make. I just want to take it a step further and, and just talk about more of the implications of it. And that being that if if this... If Daniel is, uh, if Daniel is a, a critique on the priesthood, if what Daniel is, is really talking about is not an outside force, i.e. Babylon, Daniel's not talking about the evils of an outside world and how to deal with those things and how to persevere necessarily the the evils of the quote-unquote the world and if Daniel's not primarily talking about how pagans and unbelievers uh, will come in to destroy us and and persecute us and how we have you know if 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 Daniel's not about all of those things and if Daniel is in fact instead a critique and a judgment because that's his name Daniel God is my judge a judgment on the the Hasmonean dynasty, the Hasmonean priesthood, and and the way that they are corrupting, because the Hasmonean they start out great, man. Judah Judah Hamakabi, he was the he was right, right, but only in a couple of, I mean, it wasn't fifty, sixty years before they started to really really foul things up. So so then then Daniel is doing what then? He's not speaking about the outsider that's going to ruin us. Daniel is speaking about the insider that might ruin us. One that pretends to be one of us. 
really an outsider, but has made himself one of us. Hello, Herod. Remember we talked about Herod last episode? That's why I did that, that little discreet history on Herod. One that is kind of like us, but not like us. One that has made himself or herself part of us, but really seeks their own. They're just, we're just another, there's just another season of change because the political elites and the, the, the corrupt leadership, they really, they just want what's best for them. They could care less about the common people. And the point of the center chiasm of Daniel about there being a king and a kingdom that will never end, a king with all dominion and a kingdom that will never end. What kind of message does that send to the people of Israel, to the Jewish people of Israel living during and right after this Hasmonean period where, listen, some of these folks may have lived through uh, you know, they have, they have very, very recent recollections of Persia before the Greeks, and then they, they understand Alexander and all the repercussions of that, and then Antiochus, oh my, and the Seleucid and Ptolemaic, you know, dispute that, that had Israel changing hands back and forth, and, and then, and now one of their own, the Hasmoneans, yes, finally, Hashem has granted us victory. And we have our own people and our own kings and our own priests. And then just a couple of generations later, it starts to fall apart. What is Daniel telling the Judeans that he's writing to or that the, the book of Daniel is addressing if it is, again, written 2nd century, mid-2nd century B.C.? Persevere. Have hope. That quote from Marty that I read, read earlier, I know you, you don't think things are haywire. They're nuts. They're crazy, and yet persevere. I, I, when I listen to Yeshua talk, I hear him talk about a kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel is not, hey, come get saved, God will forgive your sins so you can go to heaven and avoid hell and then live a happy life. That's not the gospel. The, 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 the gospel is the complete gospel, let me say, is not even God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's not the complete gospel. The complete gospel is the gospel of the kingdom that Yeshua taught. Yes, you have to repent. Yes, you have to be baptized. Yes, you have to, you know, you, you have to ask for forgiveness and you have to, and all, you have to receive Messiah, you have to believe in Messiah, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, 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 yes. But that's not the end, that's the beginning. My good friend Jeff Morton says, salvation is activation. The, the gospel that we preach is the entry into the kingdom. It's the beginning. And yet we don't teach kingdom. We don't teach a leadership and servanthood and all these things that make a kingdom function. This, the, the, this, the way this writing of Daniel impacts Yeshua, I think is profound because it would have been this, this writing would have been very uh, contemporary reading and, and everyone would have known the story of Daniel, this, uh, you know, this dramatic, um, you know, soap opera type story about how this, this story of Daniel is indicting the priesthood. The priest wouldn't have liked it either very much. Could you imagine that there's this popular, you know, even kind of subculture kind of writing going around that all of a sudden 
they're being exposed for who they are. I don't know. I'm just I'm just talking, just giving us stuff to think about. So I, I want to 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 end this second segment and to, to kind of end the these thoughts. I want to talk a little bit about how we take this this Hanukkah ethic and what does what does Daniel have to do with with Hanukkah? How do we how do we use it? How do we read it? How do we take it? Because see, for me, it, it's it, it's one of the reasons why Yeshua focuses so much on the kingdom that the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Referring back to this Daniel, son of man, right? And I think it's up to us. It's our not only responsibility but privilege that we become partakers in that kingdom gospel of the kingdom message, spreading that message. So maybe the most Baptist thing I've ever done, three points to end this episode. And if you caught our Shabbat teaching this last week, a couple weeks ago, you can cut it off here because I'm I'm just going to basically repeat because I think it's really important. That it's that this the writing of the book of Daniel may not have only affected Yeshua's context and culture and where he was and been an important part of literature in his day. It also needs to be one for our day because if you haven't noticed, look around, things are constantly shifting. Things are shifting so fast that it's hard to keep up in America, in the West. Well, who are we now? What do we believe? And is this really who we want to be? And we're asking a lot of the same questions that the Jewish people throughout this tumultuous time in their history would have been asking, does God still love us? Is there a God at all? Does he care? Is he going to answer? What's what's happening? Are we going to be preserved? Are those of us that have been faithful, are we going to be saved? Is there a place for us in, in whatever's happening next? Are we going to be a minority or majority? Are we going to suffer more? What what All these questions. So in order to spread kingdom and in order to be an image bearer, like I believe the book of Daniel and Yeshua's ministry in life really pushed us to be, is number one, to be a disciple. Man, listen. I grew up in with discipleship as a really heavy part of the way that I grew up, and and it's almost one of those lullaby words, right? Disciple really doesn't have any meaning anymore because we've used it so much. You say dis, and everybody just goes to sleep. Everybody just glass glosses over, right? But to be a disciple, uh, there I, I taught a message about being covered in the dust of your rabbi, which is is all about. Being a disciple is about being called. The rabbi calls you as one of his Talmud because he has seen something in you where he believes that you can be like him, that you have what it takes to learn from him the way that he interprets and applies Torah, that you can learn it, you can absorb it, you have the capacity for it to become who you are, so that you can spread his way of understanding and interpreting the Torah. It's called a yoke. That sounds an awful lot like what Yeshua did with 12 young boys, probably junior high-ish age. 
We have to be a disciple. We have to understand that Yeshua chose us, that Hashem chose us for Yeshua because he believes that we have the capacity to bear his image. We have the capacity to be like him, to spread his light and his love and his hope. And to be his disciples, we have to, yes, we have to live with him. Yes, we have to study. Yes, we have to pray. Yes, we have to spend time and we have to be with him. But we also have to have a mindset that our reason for being with him is to go out and be like him. We can't just be with him for the sake of being with him. We can't just get an emotional thrill or a, or a whatever, we, a spiritual thrill. We have to go and be with him so that we can go out and be like him, so that we can reproduce who he is for us. So being a disciple is of utmost importance. As we become disciples, better disciples, and as we get closer and drawn closer and we actually start to emulate him, we become his representatives. So a disciple turns into a representative. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors of Christ, a Messiah. God making his appeal through us. Listen to that. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Messiah, be reconciled to God through us. I didn't read two really important passages in the Gospels before, but John 8, Yeshua says, I am the light. He's saying he is the light. I am the light. And then in Matthew 5, he says, you are the light, talking about his disciples. Now, what, think about light. What does it mean to you or to people you know when you say, well, what does it mean that Yeshua is the light? Well, it means he's salvation. It means he's this. It means he's that. All these different things that it means to them. And that's fine as long as it's John 8, Yeshua saying he's the light. But whenever he turns around in Matthew 5 and says, you're the light, we go, oh, well, not me. I'm not salvation, and I'm not hope, and I'm not all that. Listen, I'm not telling you. Joe Amon is not telling you that you are the light. Yeshua HaMashiach is the one that told you you are the light. Be my disciples, and you'll be my representatives. You'll be like me. Spend time with me so you can be like me. Well, I can't save anybody. Yeshua, I, listen, I'm not answering that question. The, the, what I'm telling you is what Yeshua said. You are the salt. You are the light. We don't get it. Ephesians 4 says, I therefore, a prisoner of of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, to be a representative. A disciple will turn into a representative. Thirdly, Disciples become representatives, and we become partners. We become partners. 1 Corinthians 1, chapters 1 and 12 talk about the fellowship, the fellowship that we have as, as members with Messiah in the body. That's a, that's a partner term. We become partners. And for some, I know this may feel like, oh, well, you're getting off, you know, you're going to get arrogant in your, in your righteousness and you're going to get, you know, you're going to, you're going to come to a place where there's no need for Messiah, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't, there may be some of you out there thinking that and there may be some people that listen to me talk about this and think that I don't, 
I don't know where you get that, and I, I if if that would that's what it sounds like, I apologize. But here's where here's where it really hits home for me. Is that I grew up with an understanding, and I, and not only grew up, heck, for the last, you know, the the majority of my Christian life has been an understanding that that uh, you know God has some promises and and calls me all kind of great things, but I'm really none of those things. I mean. You know, uh, he calls, you know, he says I'm righteous, but I'm really not because I see what I do and I see who I am. But also with this understanding, we talk about so much that that I'm I'm born in sin. And sin is just what I am. Right. I am born with sin. Sin is what I am, period. So I need Jesus. Well, fantastic. Give me some Jesus. Okay, good. I got me some Jesus. I'm. I'm worthy right now. I'm I'm good now. Oh, no, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. You are never worthy. You are never worth it. Oh, yeah. I mean, we tell you that because how, why else did Jesus die? But no, all, see now all of your righteousness is as filthy rags. So even with Jesus, you're still really nothing. And, and and listen, what I'm not looking for is a, a self, uh, you know, I'm not looking for a boosted self-image. I'm not, I'm not looking, for, what I'm looking for is how do we as followers of Messiah change the world? How do we do what we're supposed to do and bring heaven to earth? How do we follow in Messiah's footsteps and just take him at his word when he said, you are the light, you are salt. And when he hands the kingdom over to the disciples and says, I'm about to get up out of here, you guys go and make disciples and teach them. And then those disciples make disciples and teach and teach and disciple and teach. and disciple. How, how do we do what we're supposed to do? How are we being the light? How are we being the salt? See, one of the most impactful conversations or not even a conversation, but things I've ever been involved in was in the land of Israel with Hanok and Michael Clayton. Uh, a few years ago, we were able to go on a trip. And as most people who go to the land of Israel, we were standing in a Shorashim shop in the old city with Moshe and Dov Kapinski. And Moshe gives his talks to all the groups that come in. And he made a statement. I don't remember anything else he said that day, but I remember a statement. He said, major difference between Christians and Jews is that for Christians, sin is something you are. And for Jews, sin is something you do. The implications of that statement are massive because he's right. My background told me that sin is something I am. You are born sinful. And therefore, displeasing to God, and therefore, really not of any value. And so, I can't cease to be who I am, then I just cease to be. But for Moshe Kompinski, for sin to be something that you do, well, I can stop that. <laughs> I can stop doing stuff. I mean, some stuff may be hard to stop, may be difficult. But here's the thing. We have to understand, we have to understand and get it in our heads who we are and what our responsibility is and get off of our spiritual backsides. Listen, many of you listening may have trauma. 
that force you to have maybe addictive personalities or you you have you have legitimate trauma and and you suffered damage in your earlier years or or what and it and it's caused trouble in your current life i get it please believe me without going into gory detail i get it i understand but we have to come to a place and we have to help each other come to the place where we realize just what God created when he created a human. One that he intended to partner with. When God created a human, he created one with an incredible intellect, a phenomenal will to do whatever that human set its mind to. And I know some things are tough and I know some things are addictive and I know some things are destructive and You've tried and tried and tried and tried and tried to quit, and you haven't been able to. But you know what? The things that you can quit, do. Those things are not something that you are. There's something you do. There's something you do. So just stop. Just, just stop. Don't let one destructive pattern feed into another and to another and to another. The sin that you know you can quit, just stop because it's not who you are. It's just simply something that you do. We have to understand our value to to God and to the kingdom, to the rest, to the rest of this world. I want to, I want to, to be a part of, of bringing heaven to earth, of tikkun olam, of, of, of making this world a, a better place. And gosh, listen, I know that sounds so, uh, you know, that sounds so whatever, um, cliche and all this stuff, but listen, I, I want to what what's the what's the harm in spreading some hope? What's the harm in in spreading some some possibility, you know, some joy and bringing light, bringing the light of Messiah into our world. You know what? I the end goal for me is not for people to say a prayer and quote unquote get saved. The end goal for me is to be a good human being and to model that for other people because I'm partnered with the king of the universe. And if my value in people is only if they can get saved and add to my numbers of, you know, my witnessing numbers, then I'm very much in the wrong. My goal is to to be the best partner and the best image bearer that I can possibly be and, and to promote that with everybody that I'm around. Because that is establishing the kingdom. See, what I, our responsibility is to continuing the work, continue the work of establishing the kingdom. Yeshua proclaimed it, and he began laying the foundations. But he just began. He just barely began. What we have to do now is we have to take the mantle, and we have to continue building the kingdom. Light. A kingdom that will never end. Hope, opportunity, joy, adventure, passion, desire. All of these things that, that make the human being thrive. We have to be people that, that spread kingdom, that build kingdom, and that know what kingdom and life is all about. To finish up, I want to read just this selection from an article I found it says, 
what is our responsibility for the privilege of living in this world? As the sun lights our days and the moon our nights, we are being called on to light up the lives of those around us. Think about the power of light. It makes sight possible. It allows us to see things the way they really are. It eliminates the darkness. With the power of light, darkness retreats. And then this is the part I want everyone listening to me. If you're still on, you've listened to my ranting and raving about, about kingdom and about all these things. This is the part I really want to... Uh, what I want you to hear, you, you have the capacity to bring love and joy, care and compassion, and inspiration and motivation to others in this world. You have the capacity. It begins with your thoughts and emotions and is brought out through your actions. What would it mean to light the world around you with great hope, great desire, and great possibility? When you change one life, you start to change the whole world. Just to repeat, you have the capacity to bring love and joy, care and compassion, inspiration and motivation to others in this world. What would it mean to light the world around you with great hope, desire, and possibility? Folks, to me, that is bringing the kingdom. That is tikkun olam. So thank you so much for sticking with me through these last two episodes. Again, I know some of them were a little nerdy and some of them were a little pushing on what we, our tradition and what we, we kind of can understand. But I hope these are great springboards for you to think about, discuss with other folks, and begin to ask good questions about. That's how we grow. Shalom, shalom. Love you all. Can't wait to be back with you next time on Image Bearers Radio. Image Bearers Radio.